0: Well, hello everybody and welcome to another edition of Faster Masters Rowing Radio, where having a rowing coach only makes you better. Following a program gives you a true pathway to becoming a confident rower who's respected by your peers. You can become the athlete
1: you want to row with.
0: I'm Rebecca Caro and I'm joined by Marlene Royal.
1: Hello Rebecca and hello to our Faster Masters Rowing audience.
0: Well, it's delightful to be back Uh, In the in in the sort of swing of things, as people know, I've been traveling and I just got home hideous jet lag um, to the extent that I got up at a ridiculous time in the morning and did my filing. Like, oh, gosh,
1: (laughs) what else are you going to do at 4 a.m.? I know. I know. (laughs) You have to think of the days very long when you start at 4 a.m. The day was extremely long. Let me tell you, I've been
0: awake for some time even before the 5 a.m., 4 a.m., 3 a.m. Oh, my God. Anyway, someone said to me, which was actually very constructive, even if you're just lying in bed, you are resting, even if you're not asleep. And actually, that counts
1: towards your rest. It's like sort of taking a nap. You know? Yes. Well, the tennis player, Maria Sharapova, when she rests and before during a tournament, she is always horizontal, She's always off her feet. And sometimes after a major tournament, she's, ex, you know, except for minor, minor movement, she's horizontal for like 24 hours. So major, major rest. Okay. I guess.
0: There's advice from Ms. Sharapova. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, this week, the sponsor of the podcast is the 5K Head Racing Program. Although it's high summer in uh, the Northern Hemisphere and midwinter in the Southern Hemisphere, we need to plan our season ahead of time. So if you're going to be racing this autumn, you might want to consider buying a specialised training programme for 5K and other long-distance races. Faster Masters has successfully prepared athletes for long-distance races from the Head of the River in London to the Head of the Yarra in Australia and the Charles in the USA. If you want to do well, or just if you want to do better than you did in previous years, you need to be well-trained and prepared using a program suitable for Masters. We sell a 12-week training plan just for long-distance races, It's a standalone water or erg program, and it includes a taper week and race plan guidance, as well as day-by-day workouts. You can buy it online at fastermastersrowing.com forward slash hour dash courses, and it's called the 12-week head racing program. And you're going to want to be getting it now because 12 weeks isn't long to prepare before the early season head races. Now, this past week, actually, before I go uh, full screen, I just want to show you this glorious photograph. This is the Bridgewater Canal in the UK. And it's a photograph sent up by Henry Law. And he and his colleagues did a row right along the canal and this particular part is a bridge you can just see on the edges where our logo is it's a bridge over the Manchester ship canal so two canals crossing one above the other and as you can see they didn't have much margin for error in terms of width at this point
1: that is that's a very cool picture
0: and in fact, the full picture, it was um, a portrait picture, so I've cropped it for today's purposes. Um, but the full picture shows they've got four scholars in a row. So I'm pretty, pretty, pretty stoked with that. Now, this past week, a ton of things has been going on. Marlene, why don't you kick off?
1: Well, I've been... To- having the pleasure of introducing lots of masters to rowing this week. So, so have been doing a lot of, um, learn to row sessions and singles. So that's, that's been fun because it is the peak of the summer. And, um, in this month's issue of rowing news magazine is my article, which is called the periodization of technique.
0: Now I'm intrigued. I've no idea you could periodize technique.
1: Of course you can. Of course you can. Depending, depending on what your racing season is, what your technical focus is um, in terms of, you know, base training can be base skills. And as you pick up speed, speed work skills. So, you know, ha- or having different times of year when, when you emphasize certain parts of technique and then maybe you have a harder training period where, You know, doing a lot of technical work isn't the main goal. I mean, you always do some. But then when you get back into your racing period, you're sort of a sharpening period where you want to go back and, like, bring up, sharpen some of those technical points that, you know, when you're getting a little bit rested before races. So
0: that's so cool. For myself, this past week, I've had a lot of correspondence with people. And I just want to highlight a couple of messages I've had. For those of you who are on our email newsletter list, um, last week I sent out a message that was called um, The Beginners Rowers Joining Your Club. And I got a reply from Georg Grutzner, who replied to say this was excellent content. So thank you, Georg, for your feedback. I also have had a really interesting um, correspondence with... um, one of our super fans called Tony, who said, first and foremost, I find your chat simply fascinating. Your style enhances the enormous depth of your combined knowledge, and there's something of interest in every single session. I particularly appreciated the sessions on the stroke cycle for a number of reasons. I've been off the water for two years, and so I'm relearning my technique. So these chats are of enhanced value for me. He also talks about being a club coach in a a previous life and having, at the time, no particular relevant background knowledge um, apart from coaching a Learn to Row programme. And he did a lot of research and that was where he discovered Marlene, you and your book called Tip of the Blade. And he said, this really supported my coaching and the crews did reasonably well, comforted by the positive feedback Uh, I got from some of the athletes and he said the series on um, the rowing stroke cycle reminded me of all the research I'd done in particular I was fascinated by the last of the series blade placement at the catch where I relived my coaching. (laughs) I had intuitively understood the fundamental idea that the entry is the final action of the recovery, which Marlene explained much more clearly than I ever did. Um, But It was a superlative expose for which I thank you both. Now, if you want to get that, uh, it is available for free on our website. If you just go to the Our Courses page, you will find it. It, There's a link there and you can download it for free. We do ask you to register in order to get it, but there's no charge. Great. Thank you, Tony. I was also given a book on my travels and... I love rowing books, as I'm sure most of you know. And one of the things that I particularly love about this is that it is a rowing photography book. It's mm. by a Dutch photographer called, and I'm going to mangle his name, Merein Sertes. And it's called The Big Picture with a subtitle in Dutch, which I'm not even going to try to, try to say, but it basically says rowing photography. And it's all about rowers from the Netherlands, which is obviously where he's based. And I just want to show you a couple of pages of these just glorious pictures. So take a look at that. Isn't that amazing? All of those wind turbines and just a little eight going down the middle of a Dutch canal. And here's the second one that I want to show. So... Anyone who's a fan of Dutch rowing may know that they have a university boat race. But this photograph is after the finish of that race. But more than that, Dutch rowing fans are crazy, like they're out there nutters. And one of the things they do is they like to swim out to the crew. So take a look at this. Can you see all the swimmers in the water? Oh, gosh. <laughs> so right down there, right at the bottom, there are just all these little heads and they're swimming out to try and get to the crew that's just won the boat race. So anyway, I commend that book to anyone who's a, a fan of, um, yeah, a fan of, of rowing and rowing books and rowing photography. Moving on, there's another email in your inbox if you are on our newsletter list. about our podcast name. I'm not going to go into any detail, but do go have a look, find it, and please hit reply and tell us what you think. Um, It's quite a big question for us. And although it is, you know, our decision, consulting you, the audience, is really important for us. Uh, So we would appreciate any feedback that you can give. Now we have a very special guest who's joining us today from the Swan Creek Rowing Club, Ted Putler. Ted, welcome. Ted has frozen. Hi, how are this you?
1: A- oh, there oh, he oh, is. Excellent. <laughs> <absent.
0: Okay. laughs> we were slightly worried that you were just sitting really still.
1: <laughs>
0: there we go. Now, Ted is a master's rower and he's the chairman of the Swan Creek Rowing Club. And we thought it would be quite fun just to invite him on to the show, just so that we can find out a little bit more about him and how he runs the club and his own rowing. So Swan, uh, Swan, what's your name? Ted. Ted, <laughs> can you introduce yourself to the listeners?
2: well, I'm, uh, as you say, I'm actually the president of Swan Creek Rowing Club. I've been a member about 16 years. Um, I started uh, rowing in 1970 as a walk-on to, at Rutgers University and um, became a lightweight rower through 1974 um, and we were a fairly successful crew. Um, And then I coached the, uh, the women's program, I was one of the original coaches of the women's program for the first few years in the late 70s when Title IX came into play. Um, and then I uh, went left rowing to pursue my life. And uh, uh, 25 years later, my son uh, went to Boston University and became a rower, so that got me going again. And I've been rowing since 2005. Um, and first uh, rowing sweeps and in the, in the pair a lot, and um, uh, raced a lot in, in pair, and we're pretty successful in that. And we won a few uh, Masters National Championships in the pair, and won, uh, won one event at the FISA World Championships in 2006 in Mercer Lake, and uh, then I switched to the single, and have been um, much less successful, but uh, really enjoying the process of uh, trying to get better in the single, and and uh, getting, spite of getting older, I still am managing to get better, I think. And, um, you know, I just, uh, it's, uh, you know, I, I never thought in my years of not rowing, I'd be able to row again. And being able to row again regularly is, is really a gift. Um, I, I really love it and I'm really thankful that we have our club here and that we, I can, uh, I can participate in the club.
0: Of course, you come from the generation that learned to row sweep, and I count myself in that as well. And coming mm-hmm. to Sculling, kind of late in, in, in your rowing career, what encouraged you to make that switch, Ted? Well, the single
2: is always the ultimate boat, right? Always the, the hardest boat to row, and uh, those were the stars of rowing, you know, um, and always you know viewed it as a challenge um so i wanted to to try and get in it and you know try to do that and um you know i really enjoyed the uh, the challenges of rowing the single um so uh, you know it's uh, it's been uh, an all consuming as as everyone knows you know <laughs> compulsion as well as a sport
0: did the club already own single sculls or or has the club had to make some changes in their uh, fleet of boats
2: Now, we we uh, we have a pretty good fleet of boats uh, I should know how many but I'd say we have about 30 boats in the club we have about hundred and forty members yeah. and we have a mix of singles doubles uh, quads and eights and, and fours and uh, you know the, the mix of the boats has changed as the interest of the rowers has changed uh, we have a we have an active youth program with about 40 30 or 40 participants and the rest are, are masters Um and, you know, with COVID, uh, the interest in rowing singles has perked up quite a bit, and there, uh, a number of people who previously <clears throat> didn't row singles started and bought their own boats, and, you know, so that, that has changed. But, we, you know, we try to follow what our members need and want and, uh, you know, keep our fleet up um, pretty good. We have a fairly decent fleet. You know, we never buy new boats, but we probably, well, we, we do buy new boats. I'm sorry. We, we buy some new boats and, 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 new, and some used boats. Uh, and then we we re, we we replace the, the boats that are getting very old you know and they get heavy usage so some of them get pretty beat up after a while <laughs> yeah.
0: I think that's uh the function of a really lively club that you your your equipment is much loved much used and mm-hmm. and you get value for money
2: yeah I know
1: Yep. lots of new orlocks every year right <laughs> this kind of thing so
2: yeah, well we have we're in the Delaware River about an hour north of Philadelphia and the Delaware is a rocky river and uh, the the elevation of the river changes a lot with with you know rainfall and so forth. So uh right now when we've had very little rain it's it's very shallow and we tend to get a lot of uh gouges and knocked off skegs and from our club too. And we got a couple bridges that people like to scrape the, like so, the bottoms on scrape the bottoms on. We have that kind of thing we, happening. We have-
0: yeah, you know, we we've all experienced that. And uh, interestingly, one of the things talking about skegs um, in my trip to the UK, quite a lot of uh, the eights racing at Henley Royal Regatta have two skegs. They put one obviously at the stern in the normal place, but they also have one under the two seat, which is designed to help the boat track in a very straight line when you're on a flowing river. Um, mm and to, to help keep it true. And one of the coaches that uh, we were chatting to said yeah. that the athletes knock this one off all the time. It drives us nuts. But it it is just glued onto the bottom. You know, it hasn't got a rudder or anything. And he said, so they wrote a program for mm-hmm. a 3D printed version so they can just print another one and it costs 50 cents and they glue it back on again. <laughs> Good
2: idea. I never had heard that before
0: now ted you're an active rower as well as uh, the chairman of the club what are you personally training for at the moment
2: well our, our sprint season is basically concluded now uh there was you know regattas all over the place you know in the united states but the races our club typically participates in are are over there was one um that would have been this weekend in Philadelphia called Quaker City that was canceled due to low, low registration. So now we're, we're focusing on um, head race preparation. Um, so we've got until September until the head races start up and uh, uh, you know, we're switching gears into that, which is tough because um, it's also very hot and humid here. So rowing long pieces uh, is pretty arduous uh, right now.
0: Do you have to get up super early to train when it's cooler?
2: Um, not that much. We're, uh, I row with uh, three other, we train with three other scholars and uh, uh, we're sort of in a pattern of getting, not getting up that early. So <laughs> we row about nine o'clock often. Sometimes I'll row at seven or, or 7.30. Uh, when I was working, I used to row at six o'clock, you know, so I could get mm. get over with it.
1: And, you know, there are
2: a lot of advantages to rowing early, no doubt about that. But if you're going to race in the heat, it's also good to row in the heat. So, you know, that's what you tell yourself anyway.
0: How do you organize yourselves, this little pack of, of, of scullers?
2: Oh, it's just two men and two women. And, uh, you know, it, oftentimes people organize themselves around who's on the same wavelength, has the same schedule, has the same interests, you know. Um, so, uh Three of us are retired. One's not retired, but has a flexible schedule. We all like to scull. We all want to, you know, train to compete and try to improve. So uh, that's just the way it's broken down with with us. You know, sometimes some people join us. uh, Our river is not that wide, so it helps to have not too many people sculling next to each other at once, especially when it's low, because you have to uh, channel yourself into the places where there's deep enough water to row in.
0: So I guess you're really good at steering and looking around. Well,
2: we're good at on our river. We're we're a little spoiled because our stretch of river is fairly straight. So um, uh, you know, what we do, yeah, we know where the rocks are and we <laughs> we make sure that we we have a, a new member introduction program where we make sure to orient them to the river and show them where the rocks are and make it very clear to them where they are. And you know, as 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 you know, uh a crack in a hull is a thousand dollars often, and uh, four or five weeks out of commission. there aren't that many people around the repair boats well, so uh, you know that. Yeah, that's a very important thing to us is knowing where the rocks are.
0: There's a, a rowing race course here in New Zealand that um, is a, it's a, um, a hydroelectric dam and obviously is a, a flooded river valley, and there was a very prominent rock that was just after the finish line of the 2k course and it was you know it was above the water by you know a foot or so Mm -hmm. obviously a lot of it underneath the water and um crews had to stop really quickly if they were in the middle lanes uh because of this rock and they arranged to dynamite it to get rid of it (laughs) so that it was low enough below the water surface that a rowing boat could go over the top mm-hmm. so so maybe ted you should you know find your local demolition firm uh-huh. well, that was we,
2: really nice we need to dynamite about thousands of thousand tons of rock it's it's all it's not nothing's firm it's all loose and it all moves so uh, when we have uh, hurricanes and stuff we always have to like resurvey the river and figure out oh. where the rocks are they haven't changed that much but there are some changes
0: It sounds like hurricanes are a regular hazard in Delaware.
1: I think definitely in the fall, it can be pretty, pretty volatile weather sometimes. That's for sure. Yeah. Now I'm, oh, I think it looks like
0: a a temporary hiatus. Yes. Sorry,
2: I lost, I lost the picture there.
0: Okay. I had
1: to open the door. You're back. back. (laughs) Managing managing the weather and hurricanes. I mean, that's definitely. uh, I think it's a it's a good topic for club safety as well because you know after Mm -hmm. a hurricane you probably have very high flow changes in the river. Mm -hmm. uh, You know all of these things that members. uh, I was just recently writing about developing peripheral vision and how important that is for sculling and you know you Mm -hmm. obviously to use your peripheral vision a lot on the river just to have the sense of changing landmarks where are other people um, steering in a relatively small space
2: yeah well the river height changes a lot too so very strict rules about how when you can row when it gets to a certain height uh, it gets dangerous and we don't allow anyone to row and we have a lot of rules about when novices can row and can't row, and who's a novice, and how many oars have to be on the water, and love you know all those things, because you know obviously one 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 accident is
1: a catastrophe. How do you how do you your novices at your club?
2: A learn to row program every year. Um, and it's, uh, you know, gotten very popular with COVID also. So I'd say that every week of the year, all year, we have at least two people contact us about learning to row. And yeah. we've established a waiting list and we have a, one learn to row program a year. And we limit it to about 16 people because we, you know, we're a small club and our coaches are, they're paid, but they're not professional coaches, you know? And so, um, we're always little, we, we don't have it we don't have an excess of coaches available so we have a program we have a, a structure learn to row program that this several weeks of erging you know in the spring before we got on the water and then we put them in boats and we have about it's about 10 sessions you get in the initial learn to row and what we realized that though that wasn't enough you know we would teach people to row and supposedly they knew how to row and you know, as you know you don't know how to row that well after 10 sessions so we have sort of a learn to row plus now, you know where we try to keep okay. them involved and give them uh, more coaching and start to uh, integrate them into the more experienced boats, uh, you know, some of the people who can get in there more quickly and not you know disturb the boat too much and some other people who can. then some people will want to migrate towards sculling then maybe some people might want to go in with the sweeps. some people want to be competitive, some people don't, you know so, we try to accommodate all that and do a better job of just instead of just saying, okay, you had 10 lessons, you're on your own, figure out who to row with. Um, that, and um, that is
0: the challenge. Yeah,
1: yeah
2: it, 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 it is. Yeah, it is. Um, you know, being a college rower is, is very fortunate having gone through, you know, six weeks of training for four years and knowing how to row is a great benefit being a master's rower. Uh, there are some rowers who I know who are, were learn to row people who are excellent rowers, uh, for sure, but um, it helps, you know. And um, we've we also tried to, related to that, uh, beef up our master's program and try to get it more organized lately. We've had some board members who are doing a very good job of
1: um,
2: trying to get a more structured master's program so they go out regularly and, and give people a chance to row and try to also we'll uh, give them a chance to compete get better and compete the ones who want to but but that's always a struggle as well you know people are in different wavelengths Some want to compete some. Want to compete, but not as not as they're not as hot about it and some people would rather just row you know uh, socially or recreationally and so that's. Um, you know with with a limited pool of people to draw from you're always sort of trying to get things organized and keep people keep, get people what they want, as in the experience, you know. Uh, we we keep trying
1: it takes a, yeah, it takes it a lot of personal attention to do that it well does, yeah. because someone may be a novice but have a lot of sports experience and they learn how to row much quicker versus say someone mm-hmm. is coming to learn to row and it's their first time and they're going to maybe just move at a a slower rate and they need more time and you know taking taking the time to try to customize as best you can that track for each person. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there are not always a lot of clubs who are willing to take that little extra effort and do that. But I think it goes a long way in building yeah. your membership, or, you know, that, so that you've got people renewing their membership and coming back from year to year because they're, they're having a good experience and it's meeting what they want to do, whether it's social, recreational, starting to compete, competition. You know, there's a lot to manage in a master's program, for sure.
2: Yeah. Tradition every year from the learn to row from one year to next, year, which, which is natural. Well, we want to make sure when they work hard. You know, so it's all volunteers and. Uh, I think bigger programs, bigger clubs have an easier time. You just have more, a bigger pool of people to draw from to get them involved. So if you have a six a.m. Tuesday row, you know you can get a boat out most of the time. We, you know, sometimes we're, we're 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 down to fours or whatever, you know, because because you just have a limited number of people who are who are doing it.
0: Ted, tell us as much detail as you can about how the club board has organized that transition from learn to row into the main group well we, we have
2: people on the board who take up certain jobs on the board so we have uh one person is primarily a learn to row coordinator who communicates with the people who say they want to learn to row who coordinates with the coach who's another member of our club but not currently a board member and uh you know when the coach isn't available gets substitute coaches and so forth and uh communicates with the people and deals with the issues and um we, we you know we have we have sort of a curriculum for a learn to row that we follow and um certain uh, for scholars we have a skills test that you'll have to go through to, to be certified to use a boat on your own at the end of the process um, not so much for for sweep and then we have a board member um who um is coordinating the the master's program um uh, in coordination sort of with the learn to row coordinator. And um, uh, they, they worked hard this past winter to try to uh, get input from the various masters rowers and what they wanted to do to improve the, the experience and get people organized and get things rolling for the on the water season, and get, get boats out. And so they go out two or three times a week now, uh, which is good. And I think everybody's fairly happy. Uh, with that, you know, so it takes the effort, but there's always, you know, just figuring out how to pay for it. How are you going to pay? Who's going to pay? Do you get your money back? If you can't show up, you know, all those kinds of things. And we had, a, we had one experienced group of rowers who've been, you know, with the club for decades who, um, who, who, who have sort of uh, lost some group of their group because of the new masters group being formed. That's a little more, Uh, a little more uh organized and goes out a little more so there's been a little friction on that and trying to make everybody happy with uh with what's going on it's it's never totally possible what i feel like if you always show the people you're trying you care uh, that's (laughs) the best thing you can do a lot of it is also getting good coaching just getting good consistent coaching you know and um that, as I said, we don't have a full, we, we don't, like some clubs, I think maybe hire a full-time coach and that coach says, this is what you do and this is how it's done. We're more laissez-faire in our, in our club, you know, everybody sort of figures it out their own and <laughs> the, the, the coaches, sometimes we'll bring in a, uh, a professional coach now and then um, or once or twice a month, but the people who are handling the bulk of the, the Learn to Row and the Masters are just members of the club. we have other other jobs.
0: Yes, exactly. This is is not your day job. Right. Yeah. Tell us, have you had any big insights recently? Because one of the things is a theme that Marlene and I come back to over and over is how often in our own rowing and our own coaching, you come back to something for a second, third, fourth, whatever time, and you get a Mm -hmm. new insight into it. Does that happen
2: to you? Oh, yeah. Well, I'm always trying to have insights. I was trying to figure out why I was going so slow on the single uh, (laughs) But um, uh, I I think, for example, switching from sweep to sculling, um, as I said, I was was a fairly successful sweep rower, and I thought I knew how to row pretty well. And, and, you know, I did have good knowledge of it. But what I didn't realize in terms of insights and sculling is that... um, I didn't know how important it was to get absolutely rock solid feeling of stability in the single, particularly at the, at the full reach catch and at the release uh, in order to really execute the rest of the stroke. If you're always, you know, if you're not solidly stable, you're always running short, you're getting caught at the finish. And, um, it's a lot more difficult for me to get those things straight than in a sweep boat. Um, and, um, also f- realizing that there are some very, uh, subtle mistakes you can be making with regard to how you do things on port at starboard with your body or your, you know, your application of power, or your, your shoulders are, your, your release and so forth that can really, um, mess you up and until you figure that out. Um, you, uh, you, you, you're always having trouble. And um, it took me quite a while to figure it out. I had some good coaches look at me who never really noticed certain things about my rowing that once I figured them out, uh, uh, I, I, I have improved dramatically in the last few years based upon those things. Um, so um, loose hands, I'd say loose hands also on sweep, in sculling boats is critical loose hands don't overgrip uh, because you can't execute the sculling stroke with tight hands. You can't execute it with sweep rowing either, but you can sort of last longer sweep rowing with tight yeah. hands than you can in sculling. Um, so there's a bunch of things. I, you know, as you know, it's, it's just everything, but um, there are a lot of little insights, but um, yeah, we, we, uh, one, one of the people who I skull with is one of our learn to row people from several years ago. And he, uh, he has said that um, he had a good, an insight himself. He said that you gotta be at a certain point in your rowing to realize certain things or, or hear certain things from the coach. They might've said that to you when you were learning at an earlier stage yeah. and you didn't get it as well. It didn't, you might've gotten it, but not the full, you know, complete impact of it. And so as you get better, you can you can come back to those things and realize better what they meant, you know? And that, that's, that's very true, I think.
1: Yeah, cir- circling back to things and, and mm-hmm. certainly from a coaching point of view, you when when you have a first or second year scholar and they're progressing and then you circle back and maybe you you say a phrase, exactly, you say a phrase that you said when they were learning, but it went right over their head and now they're like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. the handle's moving in an arc. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Moving yeah. in and but they don't at first they don't understand this because they're thinking my legs are moving linearly but my upper body my my arms have to move in an arc pattern and you know sorting that out from a coordination point of view is pretty challenging at first because mm-hmm. they want to row into the release like the erg and if you right, right. hand straight and you row into the release as if you're on an erg you know, as you know, you're going to pull your weight off the riggers, and your collar's going to come away from your oarlock, and then it, you know, it's a whole cascade of events at the release that become quite dramatic. And then you sort that out and start getting oriented to okay, well, you know, my upper body has to do this, and my lower body has to do this, and then they mm-hmm. have each thing at the right time. So <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, I think it's important too to try to get yourself an understanding of the complete stroke, every, every little piece of it. And I, I gotten in the habit of like, I got my, my, my list of how to row how a skull, which I've updated over the last five years. And now it's about four pages long. Some things I cross out, said, "Well, yeah, that's not the way I think about it anymore. And I add mm-hmm. things, you know, and because it, you have to know, you have to go, there has to be that picture in your head about, what the stroke looks like what does it feel like and if you got the wrong picture in your head about it and what it what the rhythm of it is and what the look of it is you can't do it as well once you get the picture in your head then you can especially when you're self coaching like a lot of masters do then you can you can execute it better
1: yes i would agree if you can if you can visualize what you want your blade to do or what mm-hmm. you, what you want your rhythm to look like your body will find a way to fill that space But if you can't, if you don't have any idea what you want your blade to do before you place it in the water, how are you? It's impossible to achieve that because you don't know what you're looking for. So I think that's that's always a good challenge when someone is having an issue, uh, regardless of what their level of 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 sculling is or rowing is. Is say you know I ask them, well, what are you thinking of? Like what are your cues to do this? Mm If you're having trouble with X timing you know what are you thinking about it then you find out that oh they get to a certain point in the stroke and then they get lost and that's mm-hmm. exactly where they're having the issue because yeah. they have you know either need a visual example or a written example however they learn but i think that, right. that having that big picture is really critical
2: yeah 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 so you're also some people too would just sort of adopt adopt technique that is sort of coping so they stay upright, you know, and they, <laughs> that to that a lot of bad habits as they try to get better, but they're still got that coping, those coping effort mistakes they're making, you know, they have to realize that was just because they were afraid of tipping over.
1: Yes, absolutely. Then you have to convince them that these coping mechanisms are actually causing them more problems than they realize, because if they could remedy them, the boat would be much happier right it would do what you want it to right do. so let it move naturally right.
2: Right? Yeah, like over like oh, yeah like mm-hmm. over gripping over gripping yeah
0: how many years ted did it take you to feel comfortable in your single
2: uh you know about i always i always felt fairly well i would say after the first 3 years i felt i always felt fairly comfortable but I always had these problems that I couldn't solve, you know, and figure out how to make the boat go better. So I'd say in the last, I've been sculling about 11 years. I'd say in the last three or four years, I've been getting very comfortable.
0: Yeah. It's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> you think when, imagine saying that to one of your juniors, go in 11 years, you'll feel quite good. And that's it. They're there going, oh, yeah. really ancient in 11 years time.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I think if you're, if you're, a junior or college person, you're probably getting coached a lot, and hopefully you've got a good coach, and you're serious about it. You'll advance a lot more, you know, than uh, you know may, doing things wrong and not knowing it and repeating those things you're doing wrong just because you just never dawned on you, you know, or, or you had the wrong idea uh, about mm-hmm. things. Um, one of the things this year at insights I had, I don't know if it's true or not, but I always thought you had to have that hole behind the blade as you row, that swirling vortex. And it was pointed out to me another theory of it is don't have that. Bury the blades deeper. Get them about, get the blade, get the shaft about 10 or 20 centimeters in the water and keep them lower. And it really has helped me. I, I have a more stable boat that way. Because I used to, I used to wash out on port all the time. And I never realized I was doing it. I always thought I was Rowing equally on both sides, and I stick the blades in the water a little deeper. It stabilizes the boat a lot better.
0: Certainly but does. I think
2: that's a there's a difference in
0: opinion,
2: especially between the North Americans and Europeans and the uh, Down Under people, about different aspects of te- the technique. I think.
0: There are many, many ways. It's good to, to know them all, though. It's good to. It's, yes,
1: yeah, and, and, good and to find to know, out. It's
0: good to know them all, so you can.
1: Try. Yeah, and it, it helps you sort out different rigging issues too. Because sometimes, when a blade is washing out, sometimes it's it's a height issue, and it's mm-hmm. in this case it's not your fault, <laughs> which is nice nice to sort out sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes too, but it's worth it's worth, yeah. Yeah. It's, worth it's always worth experimenting. Right. And if yeah. it goes better, it goes better. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Ted,
0: it's been a delight yeah. having you join us on the podcast. Thank you ever so much for your insights. You. I, and I appreciate it. We wish the Swan Creek Rowing Club all success for your future. And, uh, yes, yeah, stay in touch.
1: Mm-hmm. Right.
0: Now, if you've heard something today that's been helpful for yourself, your rowing, your club organisation, your board please consider supporting this podcast. Marlene and I carry the cost of all of the broadcasts, the equipment, the storage, the hosting, and a small contribution each month from our regular listeners is very much appreciated to offset those costs. And we know that you enjoy listening because you get great tips from wonderful people like Ted. Please go to fastermastersrowing.com forward slash podcast where you can make a donation each month, and donations start at just $1. Now, I'd like to just wrap up by saying, on the plane, coming back from my overseas holiday, I watched the Heart of Champions movie. This is the one that was recently made by the Winklevoss, or funded, or I don't know, I don't... The Winklevoss twins were part of the organization. I don't know if they wrote the script or just funded the movie, but it's about a university team that gets a new coach and uh, what they do and what happens to them during the course of the year. So it's it's based very much on a, a fictional North American university. And it has so many good aspects in it that are just, if I can say boldly, better than your average rowing movie. I'm sure everybody has spent time yelling at the screen when you get a rowing movie that gets things so badly wrong that it just makes you want to cry with frustration. Um, But this one manages to do incredibly well with a lot of um, cool things. So like there's one little scene where they row blindfold Instead of just shutting their eyes, they actually physically put on blindfolds. And actually, um, if anyone's ever tried that, it's an extremely good technique for helping people to feel the flow, to feel the rhythm. And there's a lot of excellent insight into how to build a team when some members are more reluctant than others. One of the athletes uh, in the movie is a transfer in from another program who is not keen to row but has to do it in order to keep his scholarship and how the group manages to you know accept an outsider who's an, becomes an essential part of the team is really interesting and there's a, a fabulous motivational moment when the new ca- coach takes the gr- crew to look at the trophy cabinet from past years and I'm not going to spell out what happens but it's a really nice technique that keeps them focused on the end goal as well as obviously the process goals as you go through the season there are some kind of slightly interesting things so there's a great storyline about the stern pair being the team within the team and that's you know always a challenge in a crew boat you don't really want you know, to have a team within a team. But equally, there are times when you really need a kind of, you know, Mr. or Miss motivator as part of the overall group. Um, And that's really powerfully used as part of the storyline. They have a great name for their boat. It's Bellator, and I won't explain that. But when the coach comes out with them in their early outings, they have a really bad row and, you know, any rower will empathize with this. And he sticks two lines of electrical tape onto the bows and basically tells them that if they can keep that tape above the water, they'll be rowing well if he can see one line, but they'll be rowing excellently if he can see two lines of tape. And it was just again, it's it's a great bit of technique, but it's also a fabulous motivator for a newly formed crew who's just had a bit of a disappointing um, outlook, um, which I think was really, really interesting. Hmm. One of the things that I think the movie addresses incredibly well is a common theme in an awful lot of sporting achievement, which is a parent who's trying to get involved to either, you know, to live through their child or to inappropriately direct people under their power to do things in order to favor their child and giving poor advice that undermines the coach. And this is a really strong storyline. And I actually think the movie addresses this incredibly well. It's something that comes up over and over again. um, And being a good sporting parent is not easy particularly when people have had a very limited view of sport themselves. And think they know better than, you know, the paid coach, which for me is always a big no, no, you have to trust the coach, and let it run from season to season. But this is just a really, really superb insight. So anyway, there you go, Heart of Champions movie. Um, It's yeah, the, the Voss brothers were involved with it. And a lot of the actors who learned to row really look quite convincing. You know, they have managed a extremely good, um, you know, rowing stroke. And I'm going to tell you why. Linda Murray was the coaching consultant. And Rory Copus was the coxswain coach as well. And Linda is the rowing coach. So actually, it's, it's no surprise to me since we know both of those people. Um, but actually, these people probably learn to row very quickly and extremely skillfully. So there you go. Well, how do we watch this movie? Uh, I don't know around the world. I'm guessing it must be... Maybe on Amazon Prime, maybe on some of the streaming services, but it's called Heart of Champions. Um, And I definitely commend it. It's for me, good storytelling, good filming. There are a couple of kind of slightly irritating things like in the really opening sequence where they have a race, the starter says go, and the boats aren't straight. It's like oh, yeah. no coxswain in their right mind would right. start with a, an eight where two bows are converging. I mean, it makes for a, a beautiful overhead shot from a you know drone camera. But actually, it's like, nah, no, no, no. That, that I'm sure you
1: could have corrected that. And there are some Obviously. slightly weird things. <laughs> Obviously, they should have taken our Racing Starts Challenge webinar. <laughs> they should definitely have taken our
0: Racing Starts Challenge. Um, one of the things that I think is so interesting was that they had a um, they had a, a sort of a shot of the coach in a former life, and what they did was they took the face of the actor and they pasted it on top of this, sorry, slightly poor photograph, which is New Zealand's Olympic gold medal winning eight from <laughs> 1972. So. If you look at it in the movie and it comes up a couple of times because it's like framed and on the wall in the coach's room uh, in his office, it's Stern Pair where they've changed Tony Hurst. And I'm sorry, I don't know the name offhand of the uh, seven man. <laughs> and coincidentally, this photograph was like in the New Zealand Rowing magazine just for this month. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that was uh, that was pretty funny. Um that they, uh, that they happen to ha- use that particular <laughs> image. But it's a good black and white photo of a heavyweight men's crew, you know, and they're rowing pretty well. So. <laughs> oh, there's one bit where I really think they got the storyline wrong. So there's a couple of irritations where things like you see the shot of the eight and they're rowing with different oars. They're using grayer sweeps at one point and then they switch to concept sweeps and it's supposed to be the same outing. So that's a little bit odd. Then they have this brilliant scenario where there's a bit of a tussle of personalities and they re-rig the boat in order to swap seven and stroke and the new stroke is still on stroke side and I thought that was a teetzy bit unrealistic that (laughs) they switched two athletes and that someone would be that good and then still be on would then be rowing on the other side but anyway yeah these are these are small finesses that the average member of the public I am absolutely sure wouldn't
1: even spot (laughs) Very good, very good. Well, we we definitely like to hear about more rowing movies, especially when they're good ones and not corny, you know, so.
0: (laughs) Exactly. You don't, you, we don't need any more corny rowing movies. So this has been Faster Masters Rowing Radio, the show dedicated to Masters athletes who want fun, fitness and confidence in their rowing. You can become a student of the sport by buying a Faster Masters Rowing Program subscription today at fastermastersrowing.com
1: forward slash join. Until next time, bye-bye.